This podcast is free and it's accessible to everyone thanks to support from listeners like you. If you value this show, please consider supporting its production by donating to our home, KUOW. It only takes a minute to give and you'll be helping to support the production of this podcast. Make a donation at KUOW.org or follow the link in the show notes. And thanks. All right, it's nine o'clock at night, pitch dark, and I'm in the woods sitting on a log. Completely normal, I know. I'm always out looking for wildlife, and I like to think I've got pretty good at it after all these years. But there's a creature I am useless at finding. A creature of the night. There's something about the sound of an owl that sparks our imaginations. For some, it might be romantic. A solitary owl perched on a branch silhouetted against the silver light of a full moon. (laughs) For others, owls are wise messengers like Hedwig from the Harry Potter series. Some indigenous people think that they mean good fortune, but for other people, owls are ominous. Sir Walter Scott once wrote, Owls are birds of omen, dark and foul. In medieval Europe, owls were thought to be witches, and an owl's call meant someone was about to die. Easy to understand the whole death legend when you hear something like that. That's the sound of a female barred owl calling for a mate. I'll be amazed if it works. (laughs) But for me, and I like to think, many other people, owls are creatures of beauty, wild and mysterious and finely tuned birds. Today, we're going in search of one particular owl species to see them up close and learn why they are called hunting machines. Hunters that seek out their prey with deathly precision, using one of the most sophisticated tracking systems found in nature, their ears. From KUOW in Seattle, in the dark, I'm Chris Morgan. Welcome to the wild. As with finding any wild creature, finding owls is about knowing where to look. And it's not always obvious. So I turned to my friend Paul Bannock. He's an award-winning author and nature photographer, and he's obsessed with owls. When it comes to finding owls, Paul is your man. I meet up with him in a parking lot 60 miles north of Seattle on a bright, sunny day. Awesome. Look, looking, at looking trim. Look, yeah, Jeez, try. Try. look at the day. Looking trim. Yeah, we try. Paul's got the kind of energy that totally grabs you and draws you in. Now, you might be thinking, looking for owls in the daytime? They only come out at night, right? Well, some owls, like the barred owl, do prefer the darkness hours. But we're here to see a very different kind of owl. And what's great for us is that this one comes out when it's light, to hunt in the early morning and late afternoon the short-eared owl. This species can be found on every continent except for Australia and Antarctica. You might just as easily come across them in the Galapagos or India, Holland or Chile. 
I jump into Paul's Subaru. His special owl viewing spot is nearby, and he's keen to show me. Drive to highlighted route. Okay. Where are we heading now? What's the so we are um, we gotta we gotta turn around. <laughs> Actually, we'll be okay turning down here. Um, turn left on East. So we are in we are in the the greater Skagit Valley, and the reason we're here is these are historical areas where um, where open country owls come to take advantage of the moderate climate and the fact that this moderate climate and the moist meadows is the perfect uh, habitat for voles. Voles. Voles are small rodents that look a lot like hamsters. They live in meadows and open fields, just like the farmland that's speeding past my window now. Voles are the main course for short-eared owls. Paul says if you want to find the owls, follow the voles. We come up to a wet, soggy meadow. There are about ten cars parked on either side of the two-lane road. Not exactly where I'd expect to see an owl. I live 30 minutes north of here, so I've driven past this spot dozens of times and never even thought of looking. Are these cars parked for this stuff? Yep. Wow, yeah, this is a bit of a hot spot here. That's so awesome. <laughs> this is awesome. Oh, look at this. Okay, there's a bald eagle perched yep. on that. Oh, that's With the mountains in the background. Nice. Oh, yeah, it's the perfect day. Paul slows down, but before we can even get out of the car, it happens. Wow. A right oh, there. no way. Right there. Oh, my God. See that? God, that didn't take long. No. Oh, look at that guy. Yep. I don't, Paul, I don't think I know that I've ever seen one before. Shorty Dallas, in, in Europe, they're called marsh owls. There he is. There he the is. meadow, yeah? There he is. Is he hunting? He is hunting. And so the, the meadow is a combination of short, thick grass and muddy patches. Perfect vole habitat. Which direction are we heading we're and, and how way. far? Towards the mountains. So we're going to get off the road here and yeah. get into some of the meadows? And, mm -hmm. Okay, I'm and we'll just going to take my bag. We can and, stay a little bit dry. Okay, great. If you want. Paul pulls a camera out the back of his car. The lens on it is the length of my arm. Perfect for capturing images of owls from a distance. The first owl we saw vanished as quickly as it appeared, but this has already been my most successful owl hunt ever, and I am now fully primed for more. We head out into the mud, walking alongside a small irrigation ditch in search of more owls. Paul says he's always been fascinated with wildlife. When he was a kid, it was frogs that grabbed his attention. Sometimes, not always at the right times, like when he was in the middle of a little league baseball game. I was never the best fielder, so I'd play in the outfield, and oftentimes these fields were built over all wetlands. And I remember my dad used to always say, no, son, we're in the outfield. If you hear the frogs, stay on the field, please. Because he knew that sometimes I would start... You're playing deeper and deeper and deeper. And then suddenly I was off the field and there's eight players out there and Paul's out looking for frogs. When it comes to looking for owls, Paul has a strategy. You know, when I'm out looking for, for owls, I take in everything and I'm constantly scanning, taking stuff in because every single thing, whether it be... Um, whether it be where the water is, where the wind is coming from, how much wind there is, what are we hearing, what are we not hearing, they're all clues that are gonna help us find the owls and anticipate where they'll go. The best thing you can do is be hidden in a hide or a blind, stay put, don't move, let nature come to you. 
whenever you try to hide too much and you get in your stomach and you crawl towards something, you mimic predators, but you're a big, clumsy predator. <laughs> a big, noisy, clumsy predator. You're not fooling any owls. So better just to be out there with it and let them know you're coming. Yep. Ooh. Another hairier. What, um, what are you... Oh, that is so beautiful how close it is. Slicing through the air in front of us, just above the ground, is a hawk. It's called a northern harrier, another bird of prey. Several more take to the air. They are diurnal, which means that they hunt during the day. These hawks compete with short-eared owls. They're both after the same very nervous voles. During the late afternoon, like now, their hunting schedules overlap. But when it comes to hunting, short-eared owls are much more effective. In fact, Harriers know this, and they will sometimes actually steal the vole from the owls. So wherever there's an owl, since they're such magnificent hunters, there's lots of animals that try to take advantage of that bounty that they're sure to bring up. I think that's fascinating. These short-eared owls are so good at this, they draw in other hunters to the scene. Two things make these owls highly efficient hunters, their hearing and their flight. When it comes to flying, they have extremely low wing loading. That means their bodies are very light compared to the size of their wings. Butterflies are an extreme example of this. Tiny bodies, huge wings. For the short-eared owl, this physical advantage makes them extremely buoyant. Even against a wind, it can just hover in one place and you won't even have any perception of its wings moving. It's just staying there as if it's, as if it's being held up by, by invisible wires, you know. Not only can they quickly stop in midair and hover, but they can do it in almost complete silence. Their secret weapon is their wings. Owls have serrated, comb-like structures on the leading edge of their wings. This reduces the sound of wind turbulence. The backs of their wings have soft, fringe-like feathers that dampen the sound even more. And because their wings are so big, they don't have to flap them as much. So the combination of the silent flight and the buoyancy allow it to be unheard from any predators, and it can listen to what's going on and actually catch prey moving below the turf. Moving below the turf. In other words, the short-eared owls find their prey by hearing listening. And they do this with a remarkable auditory system that allows them to hear the precise location of prey. The actual ears of an owl are holes in the skull that are offset. So you and I, we have ears that are on the same plane. So when we hear a sound, we have a great sense of the direction. We turn towards the sound. By having offset ears, an owl has a sense of the height and the direction of the sound. Not only are the ears offset, but they actually face in a different direction. One face is a little higher than the other. It makes sense when you think about it. Like Paul says, our ears are on the same plane on either side of our head. The distance between our ears makes the sound arrive at slightly different times. This helps us tell if the sound is coming from the right or left, like that noisy goose flying by overhead. Owls have the same thing, ears on both sides of their heads, so they can tell if a vole is moving to the right or the left. But since one ear is higher than the other, owls can also tell what height the sound is coming from. This allows them to know the precise location of that vole. 
and pounce. But Paul says it's not only the physical location of their ears that make owls such good listeners. It's also the shape of their face. It's called a facial disc. It's that circle around their eyes that make owls so distinct looking. And the facial disc is essentially a ring of stiff feathers connected by a muscle that helps fine-tune the sounds to the ears. It's almost the audio equivalent of squinting. So they can move this facial disc to give them a better sense, to triangulate exactly where that sound's coming from. Just to clarify then, so... So that di- you said they actually move the feathers in they that disc shape. They move the feathers of the facial disc. They can change the Almost shape like of it. Like a satellite radar moving or something. Or like what a would parabolic you... disc. Like a, a parabolic like, disc. Yeah. That shape, as the bird's hearing, it can be perfectly round. They can condense it. They can expand it. They can tense the muscles up on one side of it. And all of this in an effort to fine-tune where that sound is. Amazing. It's incredible. We have 19 different species of owls in North America, over 200 species around the world, and they all have different types of facial discs. Paul says the more distinctive the facial disc, the more they rely on hearing to catch their prey. The smaller the facial disc, the more that species relies on eyesight to hunt. And it's no coincidence that the greater the owl is dependent upon its hearing, the more it specializes in rodents because rodents are more sensitive to noises. So the owl needs to have silent flight, and it needs to listen. If you hunt insects that are a little less sensitive to noises, you can be a little noisier yourself. And you don't have to have as quiet a flight, and you can use your eyes more to find them. God, it just reminds you how many years this must have taken for them to fine-tune this technology that they have on their heads, right? You know, depending on which species they are and what they eat. Millions of years of evolution. Millions of years. During the winter, a great number of these birds come from the Intermountain West, from the Arctic. Unpredictably, they're nomadic. That one? That is a short-eared owl. Here you go. That's a great view of him. Sorry to interrupt you, but there he is. The the thing that's really important for us to think about is if we only Paul, just tell him just sorry just no, tell him tell us what he what he's doing right so now So what the shorted owl right now it's a coursing hunter so it's coursing over the fields it's trying to cover all of the field crisscrossing it back forth back forth flying really low the lower a bird hunts the lower an owl hunts the more it's using its hearing if an owl's flying high it's not hunting in a specific way. It's more generally trying to find the right area to go. Once it gets low like this, it's actively hunting. That's cool. And he's, what, he's two feet above the grass, is at that point. Two feet above the grass, yeah. And so this is, I can't believe that they can, in flight, because he's not going slow, in flight you can hear a vole, and that's remarkable. And if he hears a vole, I mean, he's flying, what, probably, what, 10 miles an hour, maybe? If he hears a vole, he can almost immediately stop and just hover there. Silently. Just hover one, silently hover over one spot, even if it's a little bit windy. Hover over that one spot and get lower and lower and lower until he pinpoints exactly where it is or she and goes right in and gets it. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. That is amazing. And he never sees it. He describes a clump of grass and hopefully the vole's in there. <laughs> Owls also rely on their keen eyesight for hunting, especially at night. I'd always thought that owls can basically see in the pitch dark, but Paul says they probably can't. But they make up for it with an extraordinary spatial memory. 
one of their special powers is they memorize the landscape spatially so they can be caching things they remember where they are but also they memorize the obstacles so mm. they don't have to see in the pitch dark because they've memorized where every tree is no way where that's every landing crazy. perch is where every opening is and that's why we have to understand this when we're in the landscape that we move things we take out a tree we take out a perch we are actually removing key things that that owl is using to move around in that habitat if there's no shorter i'll take off with a vole okay so it's two of them in view now yep oh he took off with a vole did he did he just land on one i think he did i don't know if he got or not what is that We'll see. No, he's still hunting. Oh, he's look so at him. Fantastic. Like, now he's coming, he's coming straight towards us so you can see his dished face. That is just remarkable. Oh, beautiful. What's great about this spot to me is, you know, we're not, we're not deep in the wilderness here. You know, this is, uh, you just heard a Harley Davidson cruise by here. It's a beautiful day for a ride. There's a road right next to us and there's all this life in this field. Look at the Harrier bush right over there. Yeah, and it makes it feel very accessible, doesn't it? You know, yeah. anyone could stop or stop here and, and take a walk in a meadow and see this magic. Here's another one. Here's two, three, three of them together. <laughs> Actually, one hairier and two short-eareds. Such beauty! These short-eared owls in their silent flight, brown and white speckled wings spread wide, beating moth-like. Their feathers catching the amber glow of the setting sun. It's enough to make a poet out of anyone. Hey, my name's Claire McGrain, and I'm a producer for Seattle Now, KUOW's local news podcast. There is a lot happening in our region, and it's a lot of work to keep track of it all. We'll get you caught up on the latest news and take a deep dive into something happening around the city, all in under 15 minutes. Get a morning walk-in or grab a cup of coffee and start your day with us. Learn something new and connect with our city by searching for Seattle Now wherever you get your podcasts. In less than two hours in this grassy meadow, Paul Bannock and I have seen about five short-eared owls. But it's not always this way with owls. It's usually incredibly difficult. As a wildlife photographer, Paul has sat with his camera in a field for hundreds of days waiting for that perfect image and getting nothing. With wildlife photography, most of the time nothing happens. Most of the time you're seeing... You know, my friends always say, hey, I'd love to go out with you. I'd love to see this. But I know they wouldn't because most of the time I'm not going to see anything. So I can't tell you the day to come you out. No, you really don't want to come really out with don't me. Want it's to. not always cracked up no, to No, most of the time you're cold, you're wet, you're hungry, and you're not seeing a darn thing. In North America, short-eared owls and all other species of owls that live in open, treeless landscapes are considered species of concern. These are owls that are threatened or at risk often because of a loss of habitat. Short-eared owls need a landscape with tall grass because they actually build their nests right on the ground. The female scrapes a little, a little groove, a little cup maybe in the ground, lays the eggs directly on the grass, on the turf, and she relies upon that tall vegetation to hide the eggs and to hide the young. 
That tall vegetation is often found on agricultural land, and that's where the threat comes in. If farmers cut this grass, or ranchers graze their cattle on it during nesting season in early spring, the owl nests can be disturbed. But Paul says there's a simple solution to the problem. If a farmer, a rancher, that, was, that shared that land with the owl was aware of the needs of the owl, they could simply avoid grazing that land or cutting that grass during March or April when that owl is on a nest. Do it in May. When I tell people that owls don't need much and they can live alongside us, a runway was, set to, was shut down at SeaTac International Airport. Because that runway was shut down, they, they stopped mowing the grass on the medium between the two runways. Voles lived there. They came up out of the ground. Shorter owls nested. They raised six young between two runways mm. at SeaTac International mm. Airport. They don't need much. A rancher can simply leave a little bit of the grass uncut, perhaps along a canal or a watering area. They can graze the rest of it, cut the rest of it, leave that spot and for the, the shorter, and the owls, and the owls can live there. That's as amazing long as there are voles, it, hey? they'll find the voles. And guess what? There's no better rodent control than that provided by the owl. More owls means fewer rodents. They also reduce the need for toxic rodenticides, which can poison the water and the land and ultimately harm the owls. One common poison used to get rid of rats is warfarin, which is an anticoagulant. It doesn't kill it right away, it just slows it down. When it slows it down, it changes behaviors. So it's more active at day and at odd times. Guess what? Owls are more likely to get it if it's moving slowly. And then it, it bleeds the rodent to death and the owl to death if the owl eats the rodent. So the owl, if an owl eats uh, a rodent that's eaten rodenticide, yeah. pest control, the owl sometimes dies? Yes, oftentimes it's dies. Like the up and down, it's an up and down story, isn't it? You, know, you look across these meadows and you think, oh, this has got to be great for short-eared owls because mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's great habitat from what you've told us. Hey? Mm-hmm. But there's a downside to that too. There's a shorter owl in the distance. Just yeah. came up out of the, the shrubs all the way across the field. Jeez, man. How far away is that? How did yards. you see that? I just saw the moth-like wing beats. Oh, right over the grass there? Yep, Very yep. low? Right over near the dike. He, oh, he stopped. He swooped yep. down there like he was hunting. Yeah, so we can head over that direction. We walk over to a boundary marker sign that's about six feet high that the short-eared owls have been using as a perch. At the foot of the sign is something I've really been hoping to see. Owl pellets. So wow. here's your pellets. Wow! So this takes me back to my childhood. Look at that. Yeah. I don't think I've held one since yeah, I was 10. Yeah, those are shorter owl pellets. They're huge. So all owls... Oh, there's a whole skull in it. Oh, yeah. Look at the vole skull. All of a sudden, I'm 10 again. Owl pellets look like poop, like from a small dog, but they are definitely not poop. But so, so owls eat their prey whole. They swallow the whole prey. So... This vole might be a quarter the size of the owl, and it will down that vole. But it can't digest all of that vole. So the parts that it can't digest, the feathers, the bones, the fur, um, they are coughed up in a big pellet. And by opening up these pellets and studying the pellets, you can identify the prey that the owl's eating. And it's, you like sh- bit, it's like a big hairball, basically. They're coughing like up, and it's the stuff ball. they can't digest, right? And here's a little tip. The... the um, when you see an owl coughing up a pellet, and this is really funny, owls, before they take flight, they lighten their load. So they will, they will, they will defecate, they'll cough up a pellet, 
They'll fluff up their feathers, they'll get everything ready to take the air, and then they go. So typically, you know, as a, as a photographer, as a naturalist, you're always looking for the signs. And one sign that you've got to get prepared to capture the action or you've got to get ready to move is that owl coughing up the pellet. That's great. I'm going I'm to look out for that. It's not often you can find someone that you can bond with over owl vomit. But Paul has this childlike fascination with owls that is infectious. I mean, walking around with him in this grassy meadow makes me feel like a little kid again, finding the wonder in every little thing. Paul has been photographing owls for the last 20 years, not just here, but all over the world. And during that time, he says he's seen some amazing things. One of those at the top of his list is the short-eared owl's courting ritual. This incredible aerial display happens in the spring, during the mating season. A male sees a female and tries to woo her with his flying aerobatics. He will spiral up into the air six, seven, eight, nine hundred, a thousand feet. And then at the top, right at the top, he dips his head down and then he stiffens his wings and really quickly, so quickly you can barely see it, slaps them together and they sound like a couple pieces of plywood. And he's diving straight down like a bullet towards the ground. And then right before he hits the ground, he dives back up again, spiraling up into the air, six, seven, eight, nine hundred, a thousand feet, and again, dips his head to the ground. Now, if a female sees him and she's impressed, she'll rock back and forth. And if he sees her and he, he's interested, he'll land next to her, they'll waddle out from the grass and mate, and then they will spiral together up into the, into the sunset sky, in the colors, and dive back and forth together. That sounds amazing. It's that amazing. Be so beautiful. species you mm. told me and what would you have a favorite <laughs> chris you're not gonna like my answer but my favorite is usually the last one i've been watching <laughs> it <Really>? truly <laughs> is right now i love shorter owls the most that's i guess that's romantic i was yeah. gonna say it's but not very romantic but, but maybe it, it is but, it's the last but, owl you saw is your favorite but you give me a little bit of distance i tend to be attracted to the owls that are most active during the early morning and the early evening when the light is golden and I just feel like we're sharing a mystical moments together. The, these owls bring the romantic out in you, don't they? <sighs> yeah. Like it, you look like you're melting thinking about yeah, them. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I am not even, it's kind of funny because my heart rate, like since I'll have this Fitbit on, and when I'm around owls at sunset or sunrise, seriously, my heart rate goes way down. My resting heart rate goes way down. It is just such a magnificent place to be. And it makes it feel like, you know, things are right. These wild animals are out here among us. And if we can be a, with them and not changing their behavior and watching them go about their lives, 
gosh, how, we can't have enough of these experiences. Well, I love that these owls have invited you into their world, and, and thanks for inviting us into yours, Paul. It's My been amazing pleasure. seeing My these pleasure. guys. And thank you for, for helping raise awareness about the very little things, the small things, the small sacrifices that we can make to ensure that owls are living alongside us. Paul Bannock is an award-winning author and nature photographer. He has two new books about snowy owls and great grey owls coming out in the fall. He's also on the team at Conservation Northwest, an organisation that has supported our storytelling. You can see some of Paul's stunning photos on our Instagram, at The Wild Pod. Also, a big thanks to Martin Stewart for his amazing recordings of owls, including the short-eared owl courting ritual. The Wild is inspired not just by nature, but by people who work in it, love it, protect it. We have more information on our website at thewildpod.org. The Wild is a production of KUOW in Seattle in partnership with my work at the Uproar Fund. Our producer is Matt Martin. Jim Gates is our editor. Our production team includes David Brown, Juan Pablo Chiquiza, April Craig, Dyer Oxley, Tio Popescu, Mariah Powell, Brendan Sweeney, and Jeannie Yandel. Our theme music is by Michael Parker. I'm your host, Chris Morgan. Thanks for listening. Hey, my name's Claire McGrain, and I'm a producer for Seattle Now, KUOW's local news podcast. There is a lot happening in our region, and it's a lot of work to keep track of it all. We'll get you caught up on the latest news and take a deep dive into something happening around the city, all in under 15 minutes. Get a morning walk-in or grab a cup of coffee and start your day with us. Learn something new and connect with our city by searching for Seattle Now wherever you get your podcasts.